Hello, everybody. Here on this uh, 29th day of August, 2016, this is the Monday Morning Analyst. Thank you so much for joining me. So we were off last week, which I am terribly sorry about, as you know. Uh, all my stuff was taken, and I couldn't do it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at UFC on Fox 21. I'm going to go over the main event, how Demi and Maya won, and then we're going to look at UFC 202's main event, how Conor McGregor beat Nate Diaz. But uh, first things first, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And again, I'm so sorry for last week. Uh, circumstances a bit out of my control, but here we are. Let's push forward. Okay, so over the weekend, UFC on Fox 21. There was Bellator as well, just not quite as much to show, although that Derek Anderson fight was really, really good. Um, but we'll get to that in just a second. UFC on Fox 21, very quickly. Uh, this took place at the Rogers Arena in Vancouver, British uh, Columbia, Canada. The attendance, 10533 for a gate of just under a million, I think, Canadian dollars, 995624 in the main event. Demi and Maya taking on Carlos Condit, winning via rear naked choke at 152 of the first round. Um, if this is the end of Carlos Condit's career, you know I don't think he's one of the guys you put on Mount Rushmore of MMA, but you want to talk about a guy whose highlight reel um, is one of the better ones, a absolute doctor of violence and the way in which he was able to win, and a guy who did taste championship gold both in the WEC and UFC, at least temporarily. And uh, for me, just a credit to combat athletes everywhere. You know, uh, there's not really a whole lot of bad things you can say about Carlos Condit, a guy who maybe was overshadowed while he was in the WEC. You know, maybe wasn't quite getting the shine and came over and had those wars with Martin Campman and showed tremendous improvement along the way. And it was this close to beating St. Pierre. And, you know, he had his moments where it didn't look so great, too. But um, that is what you would call a distinguished career for sure. If it is the end of it. Uh, Anthony Pettis getting back to beating Charles Oliveira, winning via guillotine choke at 149 of the third round. I think Oliveira just didn't respect his guillotine. I saw a tweet from Cole Miller saying, you know, this guy has these submission wins over you know, Melendez and now Oliveira and Benson Henderson. And, you know, they call him a striker. And I think it's a fair point. Like, you know, the best part about Oliveira, excuse me, about Pettis is, you know, we all think it's a striking and maybe it is to s still, but... Uh, the way he can marry the two, or at least his, uh, you know, his presence of mind, I think, is when when you throw in that guillotine. Because here's Oliveira coming, trying to reverse him, gets back to Turtle, gets up, kind of ch chases a takedown, and I just don't think he respected the submission ability in that particular circumstance of Anthony Pettis, and he really paid for it. But Pettis, to me, was like the thing that won him this fight was his ability to get out of bad positions, you know, reversing from back control in that first and third round, and, um, you know, and then... Uh, able to pass guard and or get out of submission when Oliveira was throwing up an omoplata and just moving to side control and just all these points of control and escape that he had quite fluidly to me really t tells me his groundwork has come a very long way and so we'll see what happens with him at featherweight I don't know if this is going to work long term but um, a nice return to the wooden column for Anthony Pettis. Paige Van Zandt defeating Beck Rawlings uh, this happened at 17 seconds of the second round switch kick and punches she had thrown that a couple of times in the first round and then just landed clean in the second look uh, I, I didn't know what to make of her performance in that first round because she was kind of all over the place. She was on the outside moving, and then at times she was against the fence trying to bully Beck Rawlings, which didn't work all that well, although it wasn't a disaster or something. It just wasn't overwhelmingly good. The only thing is, look, I'm not here to critique. A lot of times when you see fighters do things that are unorthodox in the UFC, you have to be very careful about criticizing them because they'll do them for a specific purpose that may not make sense from the outside looking in. So when I say what I'm about, about to say... I I'm not in a position to be like, you're wrong, you should stop. What I am going to say is, I don't understand this, I'm confused. 
and which is to, now if it doesn't work, then you can say, okay, maybe you should reconsider this. But I'm not in a position to be lecturing pro fighter. So what I would say though is I don't understand her footwork because I've never seen a coach be like, you should bring your base together and then cross your feet, right? She'll do this. She'll bunny hop like this. She'll she'll have a foot. She'll bring one to the next one. Then she'll move it out. That's not what they tell you. What they tell you is have a stance separate then bring behind it separate and bring behind it and you never want to cross your feet either that's a way to get tripped up that's a way to get knocked to the ground Beck Rawlings wasn't throwing a lot of leg kicks but I mean to me I guess she I guess she was worried about Paige Van Zandt's speed and she did appear to have a speed advantage but Paige Van Zandt's footwork where she gallops and brings her feet together or crosses them uh I don't understand the value of that because that seems very counterintuitive to me maybe she does that because she can be more fleet of foot that way on the outside. It's a possibility. Um, maybe it's because she wanted to be confused. I, I I don't know. I don't know what the reason is, but I can tell you that I've never seen someone proscribe footwork like that. So either it's wrong or there's a purpose she's doing it that way that I'm not aware of, which could very much be the case. I don't know. Something to pay attention to going forward, though. Someone who's going to have some really sharp footwork might make her pay for that. Um, Jim Miller defeating Joe Lozon, split decision, 29-28, 28-29, and then 29-28. I had a 29-28 for Lozon, super tough fight. I just thought he did more in the end, especially in that third round, but what are you going to do? Those guys, every time they fight, man, it's incredible. Uh, quickly, through the preliminary card, Sam Alvey defeating Kevin Casey, no big surprise there, 456 of the second round. Kyle Bochniak defeating Enrique Barzola, a little bit surprising, 29-28, or 27-30, 29-28. Uh, Alessio D. I can't pronounce this dude's name. Chirico defeating Gareth McClellan. Not the best fight in the world. 29 28, 28 29, 29 28. Felipe Silva defeating Shane Campbell. That's a big win for Felipe Silva, man. Shane Campbell has, you know, legit Muay Thai. And for Felipe Silva to start him at 113 to the first round, um, pretty, pretty impressive. And then very quickly, Chad Laprise, who could only make 159, poor guy, defeating Thibaut Guti. At 136, he needed that win, but if he can't make 155, then this is just not an option for him, you know. Uh, and then Jeremy Kennedy defeating Alessandro Ricci, 30-27, 30-27, and then 29-28. Real quickly, let's take a look at the Bellator card over the weekend, because that was super weird and good. Uh, very quickly, this took place at the Honda Center in Anaheim, California. Had an attendance of 9,139 for a gate of about 900,000. Not much different than the UFC card, honestly. Uh, okay, Benson Henderson defeated Patricio Freire at TKO via leg injury at 226 of the second round. This was a very weird performance by Benson Henderson. I don't know what he was doing. He was doing a very excellent job of being defensively mindful. Elbows in front of his ribs, you know, again, for economical movement if he needed it. But he wasn't throwing at all. And he was cornering Pitbull, circling, and sort of keeping him trapped behind because Beltor has those concentric circles too, in the same way that sort of, uh, you know, the, the two black lines we always talk about in, in the octagon. But he just wasn't throwing. And he lost that first round. Not because Patricio did anything necessarily amazing, but just because he did something. Um, it was really bizarre. Second round, same thing. And you see Patricio landing, and he caught a kick and then threw a punch and it landed. And, and then he just sort of walks away. And it turns out, of course, that he had checked a kick in the first round and that it may have broken his fibula. And then by the time he lost feeling in it, he just said, enough's enough. Okay, fine. Fair play. The win goes to Benson Henderson. But I don't understand what he was doing. This is a three-round fight in Bellator in those main events that are non-title. And this was non-title. And you just gave away a round. And you were on the way to giving up another round. And, you know, what 
I don't know what the strategy was. Again, I, I don't get it. Um, some have suggested maybe the Koreshkov fight really made him gun shy. It's possible. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But fair play to Benson Henderson. He gets the win. But and the check was legit. Fair enough. Okay. But there are there are reasons for concern going forward with him, and I'm not sure what that performance was. Um, keep that in mind. Derek Anderson defeating Saad Awad. Unanimous decision. This was the fight of the weekend for Bellator, man. That was an incredible back and forth. Both guys with punches that were rocking the other one and submissions and, and scrambles. And Derek Anderson doing just enough to get ahead and showing a lot of real skills. Um, very, very talented guy, um, Derek Anderson. Georgie Karkanian using a right hand to just bludgeon Bubba Jenkins. Knocks him out cold 53 seconds into the, uh, the first round. But Jenkins looked smoother on his feet. You know, he had a much better movement. wasn't diving for the takedown, but got up against that fence. And you guys know what happens. A lot of guys get pushed up against that fence, and they all of a sudden get real tall. He got real tall, and and Karakani and just brought a right hand all the way from Armenia and smashed him with it. Uh, AJ McKee looked really good against Cody Walker, winning via guillotine choke. But it wasn't even just a guillotine; it was a power guillotine. Folks have asked, like, what is a power guillotine? A power guillotine is if I'm looking down, I'm and this person's head is here. I want to grab their neck. Rather than doing the old grab the wrist or grab the fist or grab the forearm, there's a lot of different varieties from there. And then, you know, pulling or squeezing or, you know, whatever the different kind of guillotine finishes, you lock up a rear naked choke grip. So I look on top and I lock up a rear naked choke grip like this, and then I sit back and he did it and then he rolled him into mount with it. So that was a vicious, vicious choke from A.J. McKee. So he wins at 32 seconds into the second round, and that's really all there is for that. Fighter of the card for... Bellator, I will give to Derek Anderson, fighter of the card for UFC on Fox 21. I will give to, close call, I will give it to Demi and Maya. Okay, with that out of the way, let's do the following. Let's look first at how Demi and Maya defeated Carlos Condit. Then we're going to look at how Conor McGregor defeated Nate Diaz in at UFC 202, which I went to get to last week, couldn't, so let's do that now. Take a look at some fight footage. All right, very quickly, let me say something here. A lot of work on the guard passing and the essential attacks of Demi and Maya has been done already. And it's been done by a guy who goes by the name BJJ Scout. There's really, like, the best work on Demi and Maya has been done by him. So it's hard to talk about Demi and Maya and what he's doing in this fight. Because I've seen all those videos long before this fight ever happened. I think he's got, like, four of them. Maybe more than that. Uh, I've only seen four. But um, so what I'm going to do is I don't want to I don't want to like not give the guy who's on the best work in this field credit. So I'll link some of those videos in the description so you guys can see for yourself. BJJ Scott has an incredible work. Like I do these Monday morning analysts like just the you know the Monday after. You're going to miss stuff doing this. You know we've talked about that before with the Edgar versus Aldo breakdown. Um, BJJ Scout does these longitudinal. Um, case studies on guys, you know, the passing of Marilla Santana, in this particular case, the passing of Demi and Maya, and check out his stuff. Really, really can't encourage you more. Please go take a look at that. Okay, with that out of the way, now let's take a look at some of this fight footage. All right, so let's go through this footage. Now, here we go. Uh, obviously, we're 35 seconds, or excuse me, 25 seconds in. Um, what's happening is, you know, you see kind of going side to side a little bit. He was already switching stances a little bit, but Maya being patient, but you can see pushing him behind the two black lines. Um, you know that this is big for a reason. And what is Maya doing? He's waiting. Right now, um, Condit is in the left-handed stance. That will not last very long. He will switch to a right-handed stance. And the second that he does, 
Maya is going to change levels and get in on him. So what you go back and you watch is, watch at this time. So this is like 342 to 1 or 341 to 0. You can see the clock is switching right there. Go back and look. The instant, and I do mean the instant, that Condit switches stances back to a right-handed stance, Maya is in on him. Why? Because he wants that lead leg. It's harder to shoot on someone's back leg. It can be done. There are ways to do it, but it's really, really hard. You really want to shoot on the lead leg. That's the best way to do it. And um, he kind of gave it to him in that sense, um, switching over to the side. So the second that he does it, he gets in on it. And this is really interesting, too. You know, there's a video that came out afterwards where Maya is talking to the UFC on Fox desk. So it's like, it's um, Dominic Cruz, it's, uh, I believe, John Anik, I believe Daniel Cormier as well. And Maya is talking about his appreciation for wrestling that he picked up after the Anderson Silva fight. And you can really see it here. This one was really interesting to me. So Maya gets in on that left leg, which, which at that moment in time where he shot in, was that lead leg. This is the interesting part. So you can see that when you get this takedown, man, you got to be on top of that thing. Your your left ear in this particular case needs to be on their hip or even past. Your whole body weight needs to go on top of that leg, and your that leg needs to be between yours, right? So think about it. You're putting that leg on the center of your body, and you're driving it down both with your motion and your weight, and you have to have control over it. And if you don't have any of those parts, it's going to be hard to work. Now, that's not saying that you couldn't do other takedowns from here. But I'm just saying, imagine someone said to you as a coach, okay, go take down this opponent, and you can only get a single leg takedown to finish, right? You, there are certain conditions you just have to establish to get it. And this is the interesting part about it. I didn't notice this the first time I watched the fight, but in the replay, I caught it. Watch what Carlos Condit does. This is Carlos Condit's knee. So look, his knee is like, you, you, you have to be on top of the thigh, F the knee. If the knee is out, right? If it's He's got long legs because this is his foot here, right? But the point being is, my, right at this moment in time, Maya has no control over him. Or at least, you know, n not any kind that's going to get him a takedown. But this is the interesting part. Because that leg is trapped between him here and he's here, this was really interesting. So this is a head-outside single that he was attempting, right? Watch what he does here. This is kind of interesting. Here's Condit. Look at the Condit's shin. Like, there's no control here. Okay? But watch what Maya does. He's going to rotate Condit to his left as he steps sort of counterclockwise, and what he's going to do is he's going to essentially just rotate this leg around, bring his body around to get on top of it. Here's what I mean, right? See him rotating, rotating like that. Now he is, he was initially on the sort of inside of the leg. Now he's going to bring his body over and around and on top of it, but now it's an inside single. But that's not what he wants to finish it with. You could finish with an inside, inside, a head inside single here. He's going to go back to the outside. Let's review this one more time so you understand what I'm talking about here. Here he is over on this takedown. He doesn't quite have it across his body like, oop, like he needs to. Okay. But what he's going to do is he's essentially going to go from head outside single, rotate over to get the right angle he needs to put his body on top of the leg to get his leg between the body so that he can go, and here's the foot right here, so that he can go back to the head outside single. That's pretty nifty. That's pretty nifty. That is a nice little adjustment from him. And the way he does it is, you see Condit's trying to pull his knee back here. Maya steps back and then forces his weight down on top. Now look at this here. 
That's Carlos Condit's leg. Between his legs, body weight all the way on top, his ear. I know this is a grainy picture. They're not, they're not all going to be this bad. Ear to the outside of the hip. That is nifty. That is a real improvement in his wrestling. Very, very slick and impressive by Demi and Maya here. And I'm sorry, once you're here, this is over for you. I mentioned before, man, if you ever like if you ever roll with someone who's really, really good at one particular position and you get there, it's like a let's say a guard player and you get in someone's full guard. It, I don't know how to explain it to you. It just you feel helpless and it does not matter what you do. Some of these guys just have an answer for every single scenario. And not merely an answer, but an instinctual, quick answer that they can call upon at a moment's notice. So here we go. We have half butterfly guard. Um, I mentioned before that the work done here by BJJ Scout, it's almost hard to talk about Demi and Maya without sounding like you're plagiarizing him, which I don't want to do. So I'm going to link up the Demi and Maya studies that he did just so everyone knows, like, that's where the best work has been done on Demi and Maya. I'm just going to go through some of the basics here, and I'm going to try to have some original um, insight here that I can. But definitely, if you really want to understand Maya's passing, that's the best way to do it. So what is he doing? He's tripoding up. His base is spread, and his weight is driving down, hard to sit up, because he's essentially creating a blocking mechanism, both with his weight being forced down, and, of course, his head is literally in the way, right? So here we go. Now what he's going to do, he's going to try and pass the half guard. He has what's, I mean, it's a half guard. It's, it would be what's called an inside Delaheve if this was all he was using. But So how's Maya going to get there? He's going to reach up and put, he's, you'll see he, it's an elbow. When he does that elbow, what happens to Carlos Condit? He reaches up to block, but then he creates an open space here, which allows Maya to sit and wrap. Now this is what I like. So the head's being controlled here. I, I'm not trying to tell you to look at Demi and Maya's ass, but look at how high his hips are off the ground. The knee is still inside and that knee shield is still inside, right? So there's still, Maya's making progress, but there's still some obstacles. Watch what he begins to do. He begins to wrench this away and drop his weight. Boom, just like that. What have I told you before? If someone is separating your arms from your body, they are making you weaker. And if they are then filling that space with their own body, you are in trouble. As the Brazilians would say, if they were teaching a seminar, that's what they always say, this is good for him, this is not good for me. All right, so if you're Carlos Condit, this is good for him. This is not good for you. And now you can see he's kind of passed both knee lines here. Now, there's still some work to be done. Uh, he'd have to get that a little more open, but you'll see what he does here. This is kind of interesting. Okay, so here we are in half guard. Condit's trying to sneak that knee back inside. If Maya wanted to, he had the, he had the arm in here sort of to, to, like, you know, to roll someone's hips flat, but he kind of pulls it out for another opportunity here. By the way, he's on his toes. He's not sitting... Just to be clear, he's covering that space, but he's not sitting on the ground, right? Live toes, and then he switches here and goes live toes on the inside, too. They're sitting down, but they're able to push into you, too. It's like you're surfing in this position. And that's another part. You can see blue belts, purple belts, brown belts all do the same kind of thing he's doing here. What he's doing is not particularly sophisticated. But you have to understand, uh, I mean, it's sophisticated in some parts, but this part is a very common scenario. I just want you to know his feel for these positions is impeccable. It is impeccable. He has just the right timing and balance and order of attacks that it just, I mean, unless you're at that level, you're going to be in trouble. It's just how it's going to be. You're not going to, you're not going to catch this guy by accident. Not in these scenarios anyway. And remember, we always said, if so, and this, if you think of this as a slow motion scramble, 
if you're leading in a scramble, you're more likely to win. So anyway, here we go. So he sits back up. He's got his own knee on the inside here. You write that? So he can't, you know, reach up and, and um, he can go back to half guard if he wants to, but it's sort of limiting his option. He's threatening a pass, you see, because um, he could he could knee slide here. He could sort of drop his weight to one side. He could scoop like that and want go for a knee slide. So Connett's in a bit of a tough position because he doesn't know exactly what he can do. Hard to close your guard up top if someone's doing that, right? And he's sort of framing here. So Maya is going to sort of rotate his body to the outside, putting weight down so you can't sit up, remember, to the extent your hips and, and shoulders are flat to the mat, you are in trouble, and he's going to sort of circle out to the side here, right? And what does he do? He gets past that knee line. So he's still not over the other knee line, I'm not exactly sure yet, but he punches, he's sort of waiting for this frame, and this is the part I love to me. He collapses on top of the frame here of Condit, and he's past that knee line while sitting on the other leg, right? So he sort of just rotated out and around to cover that leg. That, that part is fairly easy to understand. Watch this part. I didn't catch this the first time either. This is cool. So he sits up a little bit. Condit frames to get away. This is not a bad frame. Framing on the inside here, framing against the hip. Those are the two sort of main spots you want to frame sometimes if you want to shrimp or something like that. But Condit's got this frame, not this frame. I mean his general body frame. Man, it's going to be hard to shrimp on Demi and Maya no matter what. It's going to be especially hard when you're lengthy from hip to knee. That's a huge shrimp you have to make. You have to get your hips way out. And when you do that, you create a lot of space. So I'm not saying this frame is worthless, but I don't know. It's probably reactionary. Like, i got to get a frame up to stop him from, you know, you don't want their weight to go up on top of you. You want to keep their weight down and away to the extent possible. Um, and and I, I just think he's reacting here to the best he can, but there's just no right answer. But here's the cool part. Watch this. Maya covers the forearm here with his with his shoulder and head. See that? Here is Condit's arm, bottom half, top half. Maya waits for this frame and then drives forward and around like that. Watch. Bink. See that? Now he's now he's got a cross face on this side, terrible, and he's using his own body weight and positioning to seal this space and to close his arm to his body while he has the elbow scooped. So he has his arm fully controlled. Now this is going to matter because this is going to set up his pass. By the way, little sort of note here. Ideally in a cross face, you want to have your elbow to the ground. Not required, especially if you're Demi and Maya, it's not required. You can find all kinds of angles. And the other part is you want to have your, ideally, your middle finger be able to reach behind and grab the armpit of the person you're cross-facing, because that way you can pull them to you, and you can see he's just about right there. Now, he may still want some mobility, so he may not actually grab and pull. It may not be actually what he's looking for. It's just a general rule of thumb to keep in mind. Look how deep he is on this. Elbow's high, but it's still very, very bad for Carlos Condit. And again, I'm not critiquing I'm not critiquing Demi and Maya's pass. I'm just sort of noting textbook jiu-jitsu might look a certain way. Demi and Maya's MMA setups might look another Um Important to note some of the differences, okay? But this is cool, right? So he's got this totally isolated. Why is that important? Because now he can begin to pass through the knees. Now, remember something we talked about previously when we mentioned some of the new rule changes in mixed martial arts that were coming, how 10-8s would be a little bit more forthcoming and um, uh, eye pokes might be a little bit more enforced, at least, you know, the open hands. One of the other things that was mentioned was clothing for women and how they couldn't have essentially spats anymore. They couldn't have yoga pants that went below the knee. That is important because here is the trick to this. There are a couple different things you can see from this position 
Um, I don't do, and I know a lot of guys don't do necessarily what Demian Maia is doing here, but the key thing here is he has to get his knee past the hip line. That's the key. And there's a lot of different ways you could do that if you're Demian Maia. You could bring your, you could, you could all, you could bring this, your, this elbow here to this side of the body, right? All the way around. So like you're essentially showing, you're not giving your back, but you're showing conduit your back. And then you can sort of heel toe. Uh, all the way up to his rear end, watch the knee come through, and then from that point, you can pull it out, you can drive it out. There's a lot of different things you can do from there. But the key for this is that knee has got to be past the hip line. When you have a gi pant on or yoga pants, I'm not saying someone like Demi and Maya won't be able to pass on you, but it creates a little more friction and makes it a little bit more difficult or easy, depending on your perspective. But you get the idea. So here's what happens. He's going to reach up, arm totally blocked here. Also, he could just unload with punches if he wanted to, although that might disrupt his balance a little bit. Um, hand down, head down. By the way, he's still got that. He's still got a triangle here, right? Like uh, he's even got more than one. So one here, one here, one here. Like he's ready to pass. He's going to. What he's going to do is he's got. Um, we've gone this before. What is um, leg drag in real jujitsu with a gi on? It's when you can you can get their hips down to one side while keeping their shoulders flat. Because that creates an imbalance and it create, makes them very weak. All right. So what he's going to try and do is he's going to push this knee to the ground, keeping Condit's shoulders flat, which will create an open uh, lane, essentially, for him to just drive the knee out and move to mount. All right. So let's watch that. So he pushes it down. This is called three-quarter mount. So if, if you think about it real quickly, if I want to pull my knee out here, i got to raise my base up in the air. I gotta create. I gotta. I have to create a less stable structure to pull this out. I can do it the other way I mentioned before, where I give up this cross face and bring it around, and then heel toe, heel toe, heel toe to the rear end, and it comes out. There's other ways beyond doing that too. I'm just sort of mentioning a couple of ways here. But Demi and Maya doesn't want to give up this real strong arm block, cross face, weight down base. So he just pushes the outside of this right knee to the ground. And now he's got three-quarter mount. And this is quite terrible, right? And you see him still wrapping here, Carlos Condit. So Carlos Condit um, sealing off some different avenues. That's what I want to point out here. Um, still got the foot, so he hasn't quite got the mount yet. But this would be, I mean, there's child's play to get it out at this point if you're Demi and Maya. So here, if you're Carlos Condit, really, you got to pick your poison. You have a choice. You can try and roll back into him, but you're probably going to give up the mount if you do. Or you can try and roll away. And you might give up the back doing that, but maybe there's a way to scramble. Carlos Condit chooses to go and give up the mount. He sort of creates what he thinks is a frame here. By the way, he could get armbarred here very quickly. Uh, obviously, Demi Maia doesn't choose to do that, but just sort of point that out. So he just says, look at his face. He's just like, God, what, what have I done? Um, he didn't do anything bad. He just ran, ran up against a buzzsaw. Anyway, so he tries to roll over. You see him. He's going he's gonna, to – it's not, it's not quite a Granby roll, but he's going to roll – it's it's just hard to get off off your face because if you feel like you put your hand if you feel like you put your hand down a lot of guys might feel like they're going to get choked so he might just sort of be trying to roll to his base without it and he gets up finally puts a hand down and what happens I mean the second look at this look at this foot look how close it is for the hook the instant condit goes to his base there's that hook in there I mean it's like a reflex or something if you open the rubber band it closes again kind of thing. And so from here, it's kind of elementary. There's not a whole lot of extra details to show you. You can see he's got the back ride here. I mean, that's a nice backpack that he's got. Condit trying to find a way to get something to, to happen here. All his weight's being driven down on his hands. What's he going to do? He essentially falls forward, all right? 
and you can see he tries to shake this hook out here. He reaches his leg back to try and see if he can get that hook off, but it's you know those kinds of tricks are just not going to work on Demi and Maya. It's you know those might work on 99% of other UFC fighters, but they're not going to work on him. All right, so he's stuck there. And now what does Maya do? Maya brings him to the same side, or I should say the opposite side of what is eventually going to be the body triangle here. But there's more than that. Check this part out. All right, so watch here. So first of all. Um, if he was on this side of the body triangle, he would have a chance potentially of escaping. There's ways you can do that from there. But if you're on this side, you're just you're just bone. So Maya puts the body triangle in on the correct side and pulls him to a side where it's not going to be. So again, again, I'm just talking like every single detail. I, I literally laugh watching Demi and Maya's jiu-jitsu. Not because it's bad, because you just can't believe how smooth it is. He makes it look like this stuff is so easy, and it is not. Trust me. Okay, here's the other part I want you to watch. Not only does he put that body triangle in on the correct side, the other part is this. See that? He, uh, Condit has got two on one on the bottom hand. This is the glove. These are the. This is the right hand of Maya. This right here is the left hand of Maya. Condit's got two hands on this one. He's not really fighting the hands all that great, to be honest. Now he said he was rocked, so that probably is a big component there, you know. And you know, you're just kind of panicking with Demi and Maya doing this to you. Here's the other part about it. Maya is not going to try and get the choke all in one go. You see a lot of guys do that. Maya is only grabbing his forearm here. This hand is barely going to grab the forearm. And then watch what Maya does. He cinches it a little bit. But the choke's not in. It's not quite there yet. So what is he going to do? He's going to open it again. See that? He's going he's gonna to let it go. And this time, now he is really feeling that. And... How do you know if someone is feeling it? Might be a few things. Maybe you can just get the feel yourself. Maybe they start gurgling, or maybe they just get a reaction out of out of the, you get a reaction out of them, which is exactly what he gets. Now Condit begins to move and is not hand fighting as much. Here is the interesting part. This I am sure that this squeeze is a nightmare. And when you put your hand in here, this will help you for 15 seconds or something, right? Just enough to get choked out slowly, is what I would call it. It doesn't do you much good. He's not fighting that top hand. Now, again, was he rocked? Could be. I, I don't know. But I can tell you that, look, you can see here, that squeeze is working. Something happened on this second wrench that made him go, ooh, this is not good. And it gets even worse. So he begins to post to say, I got to move, I got to do something. Look how this body, this body triangle to me is almost better because it's on the inside here. Like some guys like to get the body triangle all the way back and then lift the ins that that same side leg as a way to keep them controlled. But I, I, part of me likes this little tilt off to the inside a little bit um, because it's it's just so hard to shake anything off of this. Anyway, um, so what happens here? Remember how Nate Diaz fell to the same side as the choking arm and the choking, you know, grip. When he finished Conor McGregor the first time, he get the exact same thing here. And interestingly, Conor, or excuse me, Conor. Interestingly, Condit does try to fight the high hand here, but then just kind of stops. Um, I don't know what that was, you know? I don't know if he felt like I can't wrench it free because he's rocked. I, he couldn't wrench it free because Maya's squeeze was just too great at that point, or he just didn't have all his mental wits. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, but you can see he just kind of lets go, and then he taps. That's, that's, boom, there's the tap right there. And you can look, I mean, look at the distress on that, and then it finally goes below the chin. You know, putting that hand in there 
try to pull down on the on the choking arm, it, it only saves you as long as it's in there, and then you have to make choices about you know fighting the hands. And once you, I think, so let's see about this. When does he put two hands on this? So yeah, so once he did that, the choke was probably able to go in tightly, right? That's what it was. All right, so he's got a hand in here. You can see it's still over his beard and kind of like on half of his ear, you know. But then once, but that was when he cinched the choke tighter. Let's go of it, and then it begins to go under. Still kind of over there, but that's because his weight is sort of coming forward. And then, boom. And then, you know, yeah. That's real bad, man. That's a real bad choke, and then he taps. That's it. Not much to it. I mean, there's more than that. I'm sure I missed a thousand details about how his body position was when he took the back and some of the other details about half guard. But this will give you a pretty good idea about what happened. To me, the big thing here is, number one, Debian Maya stayed calm. Uh, and two, his wrestling has improved, really got down there. And three, he just has a system in play in MMA with some of these half guard passes and he's killing these butterfly guards that these guys just have, they're just not prepared for. They're just not prepared for it at all. So he's not like, I remember Brian Stan was saying on the broadcast that him and Greg Jackson had a plan where, you know, if he got taken down, he was going to go to full guard, not worry about the stand up and just go to elbows. Good luck with that, man. Damian Maya is not going to let you put guard on him. Like he's, you're not going to able. You're like, forget getting guard. Then he passes it. You're not ever going to get guard on him. It's not going to happen uh, unless you are even somewhat close. Maybe Jacare could do it or something like that, right? Because these guys are pretty pretty equal in ability. But uh, if you're not on that level, it's it's hopeless for you on, in terms of trying to that. So, I mean, I don't know what you want to say about Demi and Maya. This guy's had a long road in the UFC, and he just decided that. He was going to abandon one portion of the game, basically. Um, but he has gotten so good at the other ones and so precise and so strategic that I don't know what dudes are going to do. Demi and Maya, what a, what a jujitsu buzzsaw. McGregor, Diaz 2. Wanted to get this last week, but I got robbed. You know the story. I'm not going to go over that again. But wanted to go over this fight. Now, here's what we're going to do. Um... The fourth and fifth rounds were pivotal, and that fourth round was really incredible for McGregor. But we're not going to look at slides of that one because um, there's not a whole lot that really translates well. I mean, I took pictures of him, but it's a lot of wrestling, especially in that fifth one. And in the fourth one, what it really was for McGregor, and we'll get to this in just a minute, was the jab. But I want to start things off where they start. Here we're three seconds into the first round. Remember in the Mendez fight? When I mentioned like how quickly McGregor covers that center distance and gets guys backing up behind the two black lines. Now, Diaz isn't quite there yet, but you'll see he gets there pretty quickly. But look, we're three seconds in. Look where McGregor is. He is pushing Diaz back. Kind of amazing how he always just takes that space. And he didn't against Jose Aldo, but then, of course, he KO'd Aldo in 13 seconds. So um, it's just a really remarkable. His, his you know, uh, what do you want to call it? Ring craft is really quite good. Um, Conor McGregor, very much underrated takes it quite boldly now here are the leg kicks the leg kicks are interesting i'm not going to show all the slides where he kicks the leg there's just no point but i think it's sort of interesting to note what does it do obviously it's damaging obviously limited um diaz's motion it was uh yet one of many tools mcgregor used to show a diversity of strikes it you know it could it could change the way in which uh, it didn't just hobble Diaz's motion, but it could change, make him change directions. Another thing, so it was very valuable, although he threw them less as a, the, the rounds were on, except for that fourth, he kind of picked it back up again. But the interesting thing to note here is what it also did a couple times, I noticed this, was he would smash Diaz in the leg, and then Diaz would kind of come after him. He would sort of motion towards him. Now, in this particular case, he didn't throw anything, and I'm just sort of getting it in quick succession here. 
But I just want to pay want you to pay attention to that. There were several times McGregor would smash him with a leg kick and it would force a reaction. And you could tell McGregor was anticipating that. Not every time he was able to counter, sometimes he was. So if we're just looking at the value of the leg kicks, what are they? Damaging, direction controlling. Uh, obviously, they take him off of his rhythm and they were able to force reactions. That's another component to these leg kicks. Okay, we keep going. And you see he gets his hands up. One of the amazing things that he did in this round, Conor McGregor, was that um, everyone talked about the leg kicks like they were just the most amazing thing that he did in this fight. Like, oh, look what Artem Lobov did against Chris Avila. How important were those leg kicks? The leg kicks were important, as for all the reasons I just mentioned. But if you're asking me what was the real, if I had to pick one thing that he did, it was not the leg kicks to me that changed the direction of this fight or made him be the winner. It was obviously the fact that he was mindful of distance. When he uses his feet to get out of the way rather than just trunk movement, which he did in the first round, he was a lot better about it. He could counteract him. He only had a two-inch reach disadvantage. Here's the point being, the number one thing in my mind that he did in re-watching this fight, and by the way, cleanly, three rounds to two for Conor McGregor, no 10-8 in that third, is the inside slip. The inside slip by McGregor was the most important thing. Nate Diaz does like to work behind his jab, but he has a 76-inch reach, and he does not disciplinedly bring his hand back to his face. He has a long jab that kind of goes out and then sinks and comes back up like a J-hook, almost. He doesn't go out and back, and then on his feet, out and back. And McGregor saw this, and McGregor made him pay for this from rounds one to rounds five. Not as much in every round, but it was a consistent part of his offense. Why do you think Nate bled much more on this side? Is because McGregor made him pay for jabbing early, often, and continuously. And he did it almost primarily never with an outside slip and then taking an angle with an inside slip and then sometimes coming back with the right hand. So let's take a look and see what happens here. So you can see Diaz coming forward off of this. He's pushing off. And he's coming to jab. Look at McGregor looking inside already. Go back and look at his head. It's a slight adjustment. Leaning in. Okay? Now, in this particular case, he steps back. But you can see what Diaz is trying to do. Trying to step into the space to create a lane for both his jab and then, of course, eventually his left. McGregor puts a hand up. And then this particular case sort of leans over. Follows him through. Watch this. This is kind of cool. And then catches him coming back. Into space, launches that, bang, over the top. This is not the primary weapon, but just an interesting thing that he did. So let's go back here real quickly. McGregor fakes to the outside. Diaz comes, circles out. McGregor follows. And Diaz, I think, expects something over the top. It's, it's a middle one. By the way, he's walking into this real quickly because he's walking this way. He's walking into this right-hand side. Bam, bam, but neither here nor there. This is, to me, not what won the fight. Uh, this is what won the fight. The inside slip. Diaz jabs, and McGregor gets to the inside. It goes whizzing. I mean, it must. You, I bet McGregor could hear these punches. They were so close, right? A real economy of motion, not these big surges to one side. Just a slip, just a slight turn off, let the punch go by, and then counteract him, and he hits him here. I got the picture sort of at not the best time, but he, he hits him here. We keep going, and then followed up with a leg kick, right? Really mix up that offense. Diaz tries to get a jab in. McGregor slips it and makes him pay again. Left hand, boom. And that puts him on his ass. 
Okay, here we go. Here's more of this. They're in the middle, 250. We're still not even halfway through the first round. Here comes Diaz. Diaz, you know, is going to drive off this when he puts that weight down. So what does McGregor do? Loads up. Again, boom. Blocks it this time as Diaz tries to get a counter right hook over the top. McGregor loves these, right? When Diaz comes heavy, McGregor's quicker, right? So Diaz lunges in. McGregor likes to meet him. By the way, McGregor's leaning in already. It's, almost like, it's not a slip, but he's leaning in. So in case Diaz jabs, he's off the center line. He can reach with his own right. And then Diaz wants to check it. He, or he, McGregor has the option to come over the top or to block it. Really, really like that. This is strong for McGregor here. Diaz steps forward, hand down, by the way. Look, he's jabbing sort of at the nipple range. McGregor off center. Throws in, comes over the top, but blocks this time. Here we go. Diaz had jabs to the body. That was one of the few things that McGregor had no answer for, or at least didn't really counteract him. Tries here, but misses. Okay? Here's another one. Reaches through, catches him. You get the idea. This is this is everything. Everyone's like, the leg kicks, the leg kicks, the leg kicks. Nope, not the leg kicks. They were great, don't get me wrong. Integral. This is what got him every single time. Not every single time, but a lot. The inside slip. He slips to the inside of this Stockton slap in this case. He either, there could have been a number of different reactions he had. In this one, he gets a hand up to block it, bring it down. I mean, look at that. Kablam, son. Walks right into it. This is why that right side of his face where the left hand meets it was always bleeding first. Inside slip to the overhand counter. And then sometimes he would come back with the right. You'll see. Let's watch again. Here comes Diaz. Stepping forward hard. McGregor sees it. Slips. To the inside. Comes back. And then I think there was the counter here. He wanted to get the right uppercut to the body. I think Diaz kind of partially blocked it. That. This is what won him the fight. You're looking at this. Diaz could not really get anything going off of his jab. And by the way, where is McGregor? He's in the center. Where is Diaz? At least straddling the two black lines. Here we are again. I think this is got some motion on this one. Let's watch. Ready? Let's see what happens. McGregor walking to the outside power hand here. Let's follow this. Diaz would sometimes put his hands up like that to get a reaction. Boom. Crashes into him with the leg kick. Slides back. Hands up. Feet of movement. And what does he do? Rotates back to the top he went a full 180 just now never getting pushed behind those two black lines while initiating offense and moving around the whole time pretty nicely done there by mcgregor let's move along here comes diaz coming with sort of a wide hook here what does mcgregor do slips it and bangs him out over the top again while the right hand is bringing causing a down parry bink this is this is it this is everything. Head off the center line, crashing into him with his own left hand. You'll, you will see this throughout the fight. Here comes another one. Diaz jabs. What is McGregor doing? Inside slip. Bang. Over the top. Again, I'm not here to tell you those leg kicks were not important, but how can you possibly tell me that has even half the impact that that inside slip did? Because Diaz can just take your punishment, and he can take the punishment here too. But what this did was it, it just made it so hard for Diaz to get anything going at range. 
because his jab, which was the, the, the centerpiece of the beginning of his offense, was rendered null and void. All right, so that's the first round. Let's take a look at round two. All right, round two. Here we are. Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz facing off. This was the early part bad for Nate Diaz and part better for Nate Diaz. Let's keep going. Here's McGregor. Diaz kind of sort of sticking his paw in his jab out there. Goes for a leg kick. McGregor sliding back. When he moved his feet to stay out of the way, he had great command of range, great command of his own weapons, a great rhythm. The slip was important, but I'm not talking about the slip when I criticize some of his movement. I mean these big, wide, U-shaped trunk movements. Those are what got him in trouble in the first one. He did a lot less of that this time. He gets a little lazy later on, but you get the idea. All right, here they come. Where is Diaz going? McGregor leaning inside. Nate Diaz being like, I, I don't, I don't want to get hot. Going to bring my hands up, get ready for maybe a down parry, a side parry, something. McGregor lunges forward. Diaz kind of on that back foot. He jabs. Diaz comes this way. Diaz is now rotating into the screen, let's say. And then McGregor catches him coming back, right? And here's the other part. Diaz, or excuse me, McGregor is going to fake down. Like, I'm going to go to the body. Comes up to the head. He tries to get this hand to counteract him. You'll see if you go back and watch the tape at 437. Diaz is trying to get a slap across. McGregor, bink, catches him. And that drops him, right? So he gets him circling into the power hand, going low to the body, faking, coming up with a jab. As he's circling out, bam, pops him. Nice job there by Conor McGregor. And by the way, where is Nate Diaz? Behind the two black lines. Let's keep going. Here's Nate Diaz jabbing. What's McGregor going to do? Let's take a wild guess. Bang, over the top. Now, again, those body shots he had, they were usually pretty good. I think this one was just sort of he was aiming for a jab, and it kind of looked like a chest punch. But you get the idea he is making him pay here every single time. Bang. They go again. This was a great one. So Diaz is that bit where he puts his hands in front of his face. McGregor goes jab, jab. Diaz doesn't move or change his guard at all. He doesn't even slide his head in the pocket or change direction. So McGregor says, okay, bam, fires a shot right down the middle. And down he goes. Okay? So we're just talking about technical superiority in the boxing range. They're very different kinds of boxers, but McGregor has great command of offense off of movement. He has great command of uh, timing. Um, he's, uh, to me, the superior striker of the two, by, by, by a wide margin, quite honestly. Um, okay, so we keep going. So he gets up, and this is when the tide begins to turn a little bit, but you can see even in still sort of almost at the halfway mark, what is McGregor doing? Slipping inside. Now, he got blocked here with the counter, but you can see what effort was. And then he brings it right across and upside his skull. Okay. Good punch to the body by Diaz. He gets made to pay for it, though, because it's slow. Here comes Diaz jabbing. Look at McGregor. Hands up. Uh, I'm not sure what this slide is for. Whatever. Here's this part. People are like, McGregor is running away. If you notice, I think I counted every time except one. McGregor is circling. If you imagine, where, how is Diaz going to stand? Like he's he's sort of walking in this particular case. But if you imagine how he's standing, he stands with this leg forward, this this arm forward, and this leg forward. This will be the back one because he's left-handed, right? McGregor is always circling outside of the power of Nate Diaz. That's what he was doing. He was getting away. He was resetting the the, the fight, yes, but he was doing so in a way to get him um, to a spot where he was not being forced that way. All right, 
So here again, slips to the inside. What does he do this time? Throws an elbow over the top. Catches him clean inside. Nicely done. We keep going. Here we are. Let's see what happens. 54 seconds. Now this is when Nate Diaz started to have a little bit more luck. Notice what's happening now. Nate Diaz is on the inside. Conor McGregor's on the outside behind the two black lines. That will change guys' movements and the way they react to punches. And as we noticed before, sometimes when guys get against that fence, they get a little bit tall. Let's watch what happens here. He actually gets pushed, tries to center himself, and as a consequence, eats a huge right hand. Now this is where Nate Diaz has a lot of um, success. But even watching this, he did have a lot of success. Don't get me wrong. He was banging on him here. But I have to give McGregor credit. He got his hands up here. You can tell he's not eating shots clean that often. He did a really good job of underhooking. He did a really good job of get, doing like a Russian, like a two-on-one, typically on Nate's left side, bringing the body across him so he couldn't do a whole lot with it. He can get to the outside angle of that. Um, there was a lot he was doing right. And you could see uh, Diaz's cornerman here going buck wild. Does catch him with a nice left here. And I believe that was one of the bigger ones in the round. Um, Nate Diaz certainly had the momentum. So as you can see, the plan's already in place. What is McGregor doing? I'm going to circle to the way, uh, away from you. I'm going to wait for your jab. I'm going to counter over the top. I'm going to slip inside. I'm going to throw a leg kicker bit. I'm going to circle back to the center of the cage. And I'm just going to keep doing this over and over and over and over and over again, being very mindful of distance to the extent that I can um, move, use my feet to move away. I'm going to. I'm never going to sort of try to use. I'm going to slip to counter, but then move away with my feet. Right? Let's see what happens in round number three. Okay, here we are, round number three. Let's see what happens. Now who's getting pushed back? Who's behind the black lines? It's Conor McGregor. But I want to see, I want you to show you that even in this round, this is a round McGregor definitely loses, no doubt about it. But it's not, it's just not 10-8. Like, there's no way this is a 10-8 round. So here we go. Diaz punches him. McGregor tries to slip inside, but as you can see, he doesn't really get a lean. It's more of a lean back than it is to side. When you're doing that inside slip, you're kind of turning your trunk and driving off of the back foot. In this particular case, he's leaning on the back foot. So what does Nate Diaz do? Kablam. Now, Conor McGregor kind of gets a shoulder up a little bit, but this one lands. You can see this is where he's beginning to get a little bit lazy. Against that, When you start getting behind this, when guys feel they're getting close to the warning track there on the fence, they change the way that they're fighting. Also, McGregor's tired by this point as well. So just to give you an idea about that, but that, that, that inside slip, that's a push off the back foot to the inside. He's leaning back. That's real bad for him in terms of what Nate Diaz can pour on at this point. So now they're tied up. There's been a lot of time tied up in this round. I want to just sort of point out, this was a common scenario. Diaz would have one underhook, McGregor would have an overhook, and then he would have bicep and wrist control. The problem is Diaz could just bring his elbow back and then circle this hand to the inside and then bang on him and has used his head control. So again, this is a round that McGregor lost, but we're just sort of showing the, com the common tie-ups and scenarios here. Here we go again. Sort of one inside here, Diaz kind of leaning over. Now, even if McGregor, I mentioned this before, even if McGregor's not taking a ton of punishment here, he's losing in my mind, right? Because let's say let's say they're even even in terms of the technical wrestling. They're, they weren't, but let's just say they were. You're still fighting off a bigger guy who's leaning on you. You are against the fence, and you are carrying his weight. That's not good for you, as the Brazilians would say. That's not good for. That's very not. That's good for him. That's not good for me. Okay. Switch sides here. I like this part. So what does he do? McGregor's here. He gets an underhook here. He has an underhook here. What's he going to do? He's going to keep this underhook. He's going to get his head to the outside. So that tells me he wants to go this way. He sure does. And when he does, he bangs him out with an elbow. But Diaz gets him with the old Stockton slap on the way out, hands down. Okay, here we go. This is a cool part. Look at McGregor. 
Now he's leaning back, but his distance is better, right? They're both sort of behind the black line. You don't have that same dynamic where you can feel the wall closing in on you and then counteract them again. Where what's where is the offense coming from? That. This and that. That is the offense here. That is why McGregor won this fight, in my judgment. He was able to do that along with having some of his other defensive responsibilities shorn up. But you're not seeing a ton of leg kicks in this round. So here comes Diaz again, 320. McGregor getting a little bit slow. You can see him laboring here. Diaz takes a big step, catches him with a jab. McGregor, or, or tries to catch him with a jab. McGregor slips inside. Bang, son. Look at that. Clean. Clean. Everyone like this was a 10-8 round. I'm sorry. No, it was not. No, it was not. It was. It definitely got bad for him at the end, but this is not a 10-8 round. This is offense by Conor McGregor right here. So now McGregor is. What is he trying to do? He's trying to circle back to the. He's trying to back away. This is. This might be one of the scenarios where he was backing into the power hand. But let's see. This was one of the dumb things he did. Goes a spinning back kick, misses completely as McGregor is trying to. As McGregor, Diaz is coming this way. McGregor stops, tries to throw one, tries to catch him coming into it, overextends, and is, does it way too early, misses. Diaz catches it and bullies him into the fence. Now, everyone was like, McGregor's takedown defense was so good, and it was. I'm going to show you something here that proves that, but there'll be an asterisk at the end of this. So here's Diaz. Okay, look at this. So Diaz has his head. You can have your spine a little bit off alignment like that, like most of his spine is neutral. And you can have your head to the inside like that, but he should be a little bit lower. See how he's kind of almost at the chest level? It's a little high, but he has his hands clasped, and he's under the rear end of McGregor. This is close. Um, this is close to a takedown. He, he, there are a few things that need to be different. He would want to be a little bit lower. He would want to have his this shoulder kind of sunk in deeper. You can see McGregor's trying to pull him up here. McGregor sits his hips out, so he's going to twist this way. And he's going to pull this above his rear end as he separates his base. Watch. Base separated. He's twisting more. Now look at this. He's still kind of over the rear end here. And then McGregor's going to pull him up. Now he is above the rear end. You see, he used to be before, like under it. McGregor like scissors his legs apart, turns more towards the cage. He's going to turn his body towards that cage and then pull Diaz up like that. Now he's off of it. That is good takedown defense. I'm not going to say that's bad. I'm also not going to sit here and tell you that Nate Diaz is like especially talented at the double off of the cage. It's just not what he's normally good at. He has great trips and great throws. You saw one in the fifth round where he gets McGregor turning, going backwards, and then um, foot sweeps him by blocking his outside foot as he's turning him, and they go down. That's where the round ends on the round in the fifth round. But um, I'll give McGregor credit for getting the job done. I don't think that kind of effort would work against Eddie Alvarez. Just pointing that out. And then they stand up, and what does McGregor do? Bangs him out with a left while using his right hand to hold him. So this idea that like he was getting just bulldozed in the clinch. He was losing in the clinch, but he wasn't getting bulldozed. So where's McGregor going? He is walking this way. He is walking away from the, the left-handed power side. See that? That's where he's walking. It was like he's running away. Kind of to the same side, though. Just kind of resetting here. What does Diaz do at 123? McGregor. Inside slip. Kind of misses, but you get the idea. He This this is where he gets his distancing a little off because he's tired. And he's not quite on the balls of his feet. And he doesn't quite have himself where he needs to be. But the weapons are still there. Throws a right hook and kind of misses. You see, he sort of comes around the ear. This is one of the times where I thought he didn't do this enough. So... Slips, punches, and misses. And like you can see, you're loaded up and ready to rock with the right hand. A lot of times he never threw it. 
he did in this case and kind of missed. But you can see his, he just was a little bit off with his distancing. All right, now they're reset. This is my favorite part about this. Okay, this is why McGregor wins this fight all the time. Slips the punch. He does miss, but he has a nice combo. Doesn't quite land perfectly, but here's the point. He didn't win, right? But look where they started. Diaz is kind of over here. McGregor's behind the two black lines. Look where they finish. They switched places, did they not? McGregor can turn and pivot on that front leg when he throws, and he can bring himself back to the center. That is great ring generalship. Strong ring craft by Conor McGregor. All right, we keep going. This is where things begin to turn badly for him. You can see the look on his face. It's not good. And he's jabbing here. And now, look, there's no inside slip, and his outside slip is not great. And he pays for it. He gets just missed here, but the first one landed. And then what happens is McGregor thinks that Diaz is going to throw a shot to the, uh, he's going to follow up with this right, right hand to come upstairs and ducks into a kick that Diaz lands kind of nicely. Now, McGregor reacts and tries to throw a punch over the top, so he, he wasn't that badly hurt, but that definitely landed, that definitely made an impact. And this, of course, is not good for Conor McGregor. You can see him trying to bring that arm across a little bit for that two-on-one. Um, of course, this, by, this, by this point, he had let it go. Diaz just trying to you know push him up and, and bully him. Here he lands a nice left hook on the inside. McGregor's going to duck and dodge, trying to get away. He eats a left on the way out, misses with the right Diaz does, but then they're back at it. And you can see McGregor's quite tired here. Diaz throws a left. McGregor ducks it, misses it, but he eats a knee in the process. Another left hook. You can see McGregor's tired here, and he eats another right hand before the final bell. So that's how the third round ends. So Diaz gets his licks in there. 10-9, no doubt about it, Diaz. He absolutely won that round, hands down. But if you're asking me, like, where is the 10-8 coming from, I don't know where you would find that. He didn't bully him in such a way where, um, you know, look, I'm not saying that McGregor falling to his knees would have been the line in the sand that would have had to have been crossed, right? RDA got the title snatched from him, and he never went to his knees when Eddie Alvarez was banging on him. But the point being was, I, I just don't know what you're looking at. Like, what is the what is the evidence? Where is the line in the sand that there is some kind of way to say this is a clear 10-8? McGregor landed plenty of offense in this round, showed plenty of life in this round, showed decent defense in this round, plenty of counters in this round. I'm not going to sit here and say it was his back and forth as round five or something or whatever, round four, but... It's a clear Diaz round, but this idea that like Diaz just crushed him in this one. Uh, Diaz won handily, but he didn't win so handily it was 10-8. There is no moment where we move from 10-9 to 10-8 territory. There is no, there's just, there wasn't there. It wasn't enough damage, and it wasn't enough damage differential, and it wasn't any kind of positional control. In fact, you saw McGregor being able to olay himself back to the middle. Now let's talk about rounds four and five. Okay, so let's talk about rounds four and five here if we can very quickly. Um... And why this is important. I don't have the slides for them, and I could do them, but it it just didn't look all that good when I went back and looked at the slides. So I wanted to just talk about it very, very, very quickly. Uh, Conor McGregor, I think most observers would conclude one rounds four, and Nate Diaz one rounds five, um, which I think is fine, right? I scored the fight 48-47 for McGregor. I think he took one, two, and four. I think Diaz took three and five. Um, I do not think that any of those rounds were a 10-8. Um, in retrospect, I don't I don't find that to be a very defensible scorecard, but uh, close fight in many ways. But here's here's the story of round four. In round four, which is arguably the most important round of Conor McGregor's career, he came back out and did some things he wasn't doing in that third round. Remember that third round where instead of sort of slipping to the inside, he kind of leaned. 
Um, he didn't do that anymore. He still did some slipping to the inside, but he more used his feet to get out of the way in that fourth round. And I'm going to show you some stats here about that fourth round that I think highlight the reason why he won the the fight, or at least that round and the fight, of course. Um, look here, right here. Um, round four, to me, the story of that fight was the jab. The jab of Conor McGregor. He was popping it constantly. And sometimes he would follow up with it. And again, it wasn't like he was getting away from the inside slip to the left-hand counter. But nevertheless, it was the jab that won him that fight. He Or that round, and of course the fight. He was popping it, popping it, popping it. And you can see, now these don't tell us exactly what kind of headshots they were. I mean, any of these can be a hook, uppercut, you get the whole nine. But go back and watch that fourth round. Look at these other fights, or these other rounds. He, he landed 14 headshots in the first, 19 in the second, only 17 in the third. Then he would almost doubled that in the fourth round. Um, wow, by the way, he blended some nice body shots too. But you can see in the rounds, the first three rounds, he was kind of out of it. Here he was jabbing to the body and to the head constantly, constantly. And he threw leg kicks as well. Uh, he went back to those. Not a whole lot of them, but they all kind of landed. But really, to me, that's where this was won and lost, was the jab of Conor McGregor in that fourth round. So yes, he, he got back to economical movement. This is very economical, right? Just slips to like that. Uh, not these big U-shaped trunk movements that he was doing before that, that actually take a lot of energy. Small economical motions, moving with his feet to maintain distance so that Diaz could never really get going with what he was doing, could never could never tie him up, could never, it was always, remember Diaz had a two-inch reach advantage. So for McGregor to be able to pop and then get out of the way, that's easy when you're slipping. That's harder when you're just jabbing. He had to sort of really be mindful of his feet and, and when he could go with his timing and that really went back to work in the fourth uh for him in the fifth round Diaz just did a lot of tying up in the clinch and so I think he was actually outstruck in that one if I'm not mistaken yeah well sort of McGregor landed a few more um but the volume of attack and sort of being pushed and pulled against that fence I think um gave the judges the impression that he won which I think is fine but you get the idea here that was really the story of of that fight to me everyone talked about those leg kicks and they were important through Several rounds, I'm looking at them here. They were big in round one, 17 of 19, 10 of 11 in the second round, 5 of 6, 5 of 5, and 3 of 4. So it faded uh, over time. But this, that jab of Diaz, he liked to jab long, and he never brought it back. He never like brought it back. He kind of just jabbed, and it fell, and he would kind of bring it up from his waist again. And Conor McGregor made him pay for it. And plus, Diaz takes a big step with it. So he could read when he was taking that step. Um, and, and, and Conor McGregor really, really owned him on that. To me, that was what, what really won him the fight. Leg kicks, great. Wrestling in the clinch, of course, amazing. Um, and the defensive movement with his feet, great. Uh, all that stuff. But the central one to me that landed over and over again. Here comes the Diaz jab. Slip. Come over the top. All right? That's what he did every time. That's how Conor McGregor beat Nate Diaz. Okay, last but not least, let's take a look at what's coming up ahead uh, this weekend. It will be... Ooh, it's going to be nubs. It's going to be UFC Fight Night. Let's see what the number is. 93. This will be at Hamburg, Germany. Fun main event. Andre Olovsky taking on uh, Josh Barnett. This will be at the Barclay Card Arena in Hamburg. Co-main event. Alexander Gustafsson taking on Jan Blachowicz. Ryan Bader taking on Ilir Latifi. That should be fun. And then Nick Hine taking on Taehyung Bang. In the Those are the four fights on the Fight Pass main card. The rest of the card, which will also be on Fight Pass, 
is Jessen Ayari versus Judo Jim Wallhead. Uh, let's see. Peter Sobata. That's Judo Jim Wallhead, right? Or is this another Jim Wallhead that I'm not aware of? Uh, no, this is him. Okay. Uh, Peter Sabata taking on Nicholas Dalby. It'll be good to see Dalby back in action. Taylor Lapalus, who's always interesting, taking on Leandro Issa. Jarjus Danho taking on Christian Colombo. Scott Ascom defe- uh, is going to face Jack Hermanson. Rustam Habilov is back to action, taking on Leandro Silva. Martin Buskchamp, or Bush Camp, taking on Alex Enlund. And then Ashley Evans-Smith versus Veronica Macedo. And that will start at 11.30 in East Coast time. Main card, I think, is at 3. So get your afternoon ready slash ruined. I'm teasing. Okay. Appreciate you guys watching. Again, sorry for last week, but we're back to a regular schedule. I'll be on vacation for a couple of weeks uh, in September, but we'll worry about that later. We will have a Monday morning analyst for you next week on time for this card and uh, all that good stuff. Email me with any corrections at luke.thomas at uh, sbnation.com. I appreciate you guys watching. Please give it a thumb up, share it, like it. You guys are the best. Until next time, enjoy the fights.